Station. I can't get no call to action, but I try and I try and I try. Hello and welcome to Call to Action, the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing, advertising and beyond. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp and I'm Giles Edwards. Today, I've caught Kirti Nair, a brilliant marketer, decent human being and self-confessed pain in the neck. Kirti is hell-bent on bridging the gap between commerce and creativity. Most recently, the marketing effectiveness and digital transformation lead at Kellogg. She's cut her teeth in the industry over 16 years, four continents and two recessions. A true believer in the power of marketing, Kirti is determined to understand why people behave the way they do, mainly to find out why anyone would ever like mayonnaise. She says there are astounding levels of fanaticism in Adland. Why subscribe to every word of an author or a school of thought? We have the option to read a book and let it simmer. In case of new evidence, challenge your own notions. Rethinking is not a sign of weakness, it's one of maturity. Well said and welcome to the show, Kitty. Hello there. Thank you so much for inviting me here. Oh, no problem, it's a, it's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure and a privilege because I know I've been listening to your podcast for a very long time. We've had uh, guests here who are incredible. One of the reasons why I enjoy being in the industry and enjoy being in marketing is because of the knowledge and the wisdom that all of those guests um, are, are, I'm, are kind enough to impart. So it's it's an absolute pleasure being here. Oh, thank you, Katie. Well, this episode will be no different. I do not doubt that one bit. So seven quick fire questions, Mac or PC? Mac. Client side or agency side? Agency side. Oh, that was easy. Uh, right, excuse my the pronunciation. Near Dosa or Apam? Oh, I know who, who would have asked this. Uh, Apam <laughs> has to be. I'm, I'm married to uh, a Keralite and, and Apam is, is that a dish of Kerala. So there's no way I'm escaping that one. Uh, number four, Kellogg's one. Corn flakes or Rice Krispies? Rice Krispies. Byron Sharp or Rory Sutherland? You had to do that to me, didn't you? <laughs> you just had to... Mm, Byron Sutherland. <laughs> That's how it'll have to be. Well played. Okay, right, two more. At the risk of upsetting Andrew Wilshire, marketing is a cost or marketing is an investment? Cost. Cost. Uh, and lastly, eat a whole jar of mayonnaise in one sitting or binge watch Emily in Paris start to finish? Oh dear, eat a whole jar of mayonnaise. I'm willing to do that to myself. Really? Is it that bad? You said mayonnaise was undiluted shite, and I quote. <laughs> yes, I know. And and this is even this is highly concentrated shite, Emily in Paris. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, um <laughs> Katie, as you know, we like to start every episode by asking our guests how their career began to track the linear and not so linear path to where they are now. 
Now, LinkedIn told us that you actually did a bachelor's in electrical engineering. But before we dig into that and find out how you went from engineering to marketing, what was your first ever job and what was your first proper job? So my first ever job was actually as a tutor in high school. So I I was good at maths and I was good at physics and we had neighborhood kids who actually uh, needed help. And um, I, I come from a working class family um, and I said, all right, I'm going to tutor you. And uh, so I got paid for it. So I was in year 11. Uh, yeah, as, yeah, if you look at the UK uh, curriculum that would be yeah year 11 and then I had kids from year 6 year 7 who needed help with math so that was my first job and then my first proper job was actually selling um, a powdered drink concentrate yes I know it sounds nasty as a product and it surely well was it was from coca-cola so I my first uh, proper job was as a summer intern at coca-cola and uh, my job was to actually sell it door to door, be on the sales beat uh, from one store to another in the suburbs of Mumbai. Oh, wow. And how did you find that? That was incredible because remember that uh, by that time I'd already finished my electrical engineering and I was into things like transformers and electrical machines. And this was refreshing to actually be doing product demos in summer heat. And and here, I mean, it's it's amusing when it, 27 degrees Celsius and we start talking about hydrating ourselves and in Mumbai I'm talking about uh, nearing 40 degrees Celsius and you are actually going store store to store um, getting order volumes for uh, what was the brand back then it was called Sunfell and uh, it was incredible it taught me humility no end because you were defined by your numbers every single day on what your order quantity was uh, you also learned the basics of pricing and promotions and distribution and what's the what's the need for you to actually go on a certain sales beat and how to make sure that you negotiate your way through. I think any marketer I would think would benefit from knowing how a store listing happens and the blood and blood sweat and tears that goes behind doing that. Yeah, sure. I don't. I, I, I'm, I'm on that side too. I remember talking to Phil Barden about the factory tours and visits he used to do when I th- he started at I think McVitie's. Apologies if I got that wrong, Phil. But I think yeah, the more you know about that whole cycle, the better. And but, but I, I need to understand. So I'm confused. So so you did electrical engineering. You're not you're not the uh, the the only guest we've had on who made that move from electrical engineering. Fernando Machado of Activision X Burger King, he studied mechanical engineering in college and subsequently has moved to marketing. So how and why did that happen for you? Yes, yes. Another one is Andrew Wilshire. I think he himself uh, also, I, I think he is into electrical engineering. Yes, there are plenty. So the way I went about it is after I finished it, I was looking at um, selling water treatment plants and uh, I had my brother-in-law who, 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 who sadly uh, passed away earlier in this year and he was he was the one who uh, who kind of talked about how to sell water treatment plants and guess what instead of getting interested in how a water treatment plant functions or what reverse osmosis is and so on and so forth I was more interested and more fascinated by how he sells these plants and so he said okay uh, it looks like you're more interested in sales and marketing. And uh, I will take the liberty of pointing out that when you grow up in India, uh, the streams that 
uh, are open to you or you expect it to excel at uh, are very few. So if you are good at maths, then you automatically are supposed to become an engineer. If you're good at biology, you become a doctor. And if you're good at um, uh, economics and so on and so forth, then you take up commerce. And quite frankly, and sadly, tragic part of this is if you're good at literature, or arts and humanities, uh, then, well, uh, it must be because you aren't good at the first three. And that that was that was really, that still is very unfair, to be honest. And so in my case, what happened is um, I took up engineering. Uh, I liked it. However, it, it fascinated me how people sell. And so my it was my brother-in-law's suggestion that I should actually look at marketing. So I said, okay, fine, I'll do an MBA in marketing. I start to do MBA marketing, then the internship happens. I am on the sales beat with Coca-Cola and I realized I really like enjoy this. And uh, so electrical engineering was good while it lasted, but uh, this fascinates me no end. And never mind the fact that I am actually neurodiverse. And that means that for me, I mean, solving puzzles and figuring things out and why do people say what they do or how can I get to the bottom of this? Uh, it, it, it's a lot more effortful. So I said, okay, this is what I really want to do now. Uh, and from Coca-Cola onwards, it's been in marketing. So yes, it's serendipity, partly serendipity, partly uh, a recognition um, that what I chose was perhaps not right for me. Yeah, well, I think as a nod to... Um your brilliant quote on the intro about rethinking things it's it's refreshing to hear that 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 was you know perhaps is at least in hindsight part of that journey and as you know one of the reasons we like to ask this question is because I think people when they're starting their careers certainly worry too much about doing things the right way so it's really interesting so, uh, so roughly how old were you when you made that move into marketing and did your MBA? Okay so that was when I was 23 that's when I, I switched. So I finished my engineering by then. And by 23, I was, I, that's when it struck me as this is not what, what I've done so far is not the right thing to do. In fact, I, that was not the only time I realized that I've made a mistake. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a series of mistakes since then. And I think I'll continue discovering uh, oh, well to, I mean, uh, onto my grave or something. But after that, once I took up marketing, I realized that, yes, this is good fun and brand management is one part but, and sales is another. But uh, I also want to weave in the deeper understanding and the science. And that's the reason why after that, I, I got into research and insight and, uh, and figuring out qualitative and quantitative research strategy uh, instead of just spinning, continue spinning and not knowing why those decisions are made either in consumers' minds or uh, or our leaders or corporate leaders. Amazing. So how do you do that early, so early on in your career? Because um, you've mentioned everything there from obviously sales and promotions and brand and research. To my mind, you would be very lucky nowadays to find yourself in a role where you are afforded visibility of, of, of all of those different types of stages and everything that comes within those so did were you exposed to those was that primarily from the MBA or was that through your career when you actually started working in the industry it is actually partly through the MBA I will not deny that I was it, it is a privilege to have uh, managed to do an MBA early on uh, I think that was one reason the other reason 
why I think I made those choices was driven primarily by what will give me my career longevity. Uh, I, I must admit that I was, I've always been money-minded, Giles, and I've not, uh, I've not shied away from admitting it. And that meant that when I started working in, uh, for instance, I was in a research agency called Sinovate. And this was a small agency. Um, and I'm working there and trying to figure things out. But at the same time, I'm saying, what will ensure that I'm employable for longer? Because what if this goes bankrupt tomorrow? And the reason for that actually might, it's a good question. It's only now that I'm thinking about it. Early on, I've, I come from a very small town. I've seen you know, businesses go belly up, uh, shutters down, shops uh, closing and so on and so forth. Um, it's it's a place called Raipur in central India. That's where my father was posted, although we are from, we are South Indians. And I, I could see businesses like closing. And I, it would always give me that paranoia saying, what happens once you do that? How do you plan your next steps? Because I need the money. I, I want to make sure that I'm employable. And so then that's the reason why uh, I wanted to hedge my bets in a manner to make sure that I expose myself to as many functions as possible. So tomorrow, if this doesn't work out, then I'm going to do something else, which actually now when I say it, I myself think it's, it's, uh, is this something that all youngsters should do? I'm not quite sure because this, but at the same time, uh, it, it might help if in your 20s, you've given everything uh, a go. Uh, I I don't think it's right to be a specialist very very early on. Uh, you don't know what you're like. Look at look at what I've just told you about my story, and uh, it's it's not right to specialize so early on and um, restrict yourself. Yeah, that's that's really well said. And you can't know what you don't know. I mean, we we never can know what we don't know, obviously, but especially early on, if you're looking into specializing. One of the quotes that um, I've read during the process of, of researching for today, which I really identify with, is that you believe in relentless learning. Now, I know how much I annoy my wife and people around me with how obsessed I am with like learning things and new things because I always have to know why something happens. Um, and I think that, that whether that's in marketing or whether that's in any other industry or walk of life, it can only benefit you as a marketer, because the more you understand, then the, the more your, your brain is going to allow to take on other problems. And also, it gives you that facility to kind of tap into thoughts or experiences or ideas that other people probably don't have. And I think that's probably the reason why I get so frustrated when people worry there's a right way of doing things. And I know that we've had guests, I've been fortunate enough to talk to the likes of uh, Steve Harrison in particular, I remember him talking about how he didn't know how to write necessarily, but he knew how people, he knew people because he'd grown up in Blackpool. And so every season he'd get this indulge in, in watching all of these people and, and so on and so forth. But it really, it's a really smart point you make. Yes. And I think to build on, I mean, Steve Harrison, I have enormous respect for him and his book um, and many other things that he has said about what will at some point in time in this episode get on to anyway uh what I, what what uh struck me right now when you were talking about relentless learning is that is another reason why i was i i got a chance to look at all of this because there's a certain degree of humility if you have uh whether you're in your 20s or 50s or 80s it holds you in good stead is then you don't put pressure on yourself to succeed to get to a job title right because if 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 you tell yourself, I need to be an MD by 35, 
or I need to be a CEO by 45, then you're going to go down a linear path. And that is that might not be the best thing that happens to you because you might derive a lot of meaning, draw a lot of joy from something that you end up learning later on. And so I, I do feel a lot of the guests who've come onto your show are people who come across as, as constantly learning, but also very humble about their craft. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good observation. You included. Well, I'm not so, not so sure about that one, but thank you. Before we get into a couple of meaty topics, because I actually have a long list here, so I'm, I'm wary of keeping this into just at one episode length. I want to ask quickly, when did you start content hopping? Because obviously you're keen to kind of expose yourself to all areas of marketing, but that's true of, you know, geography. You, you've, you've, you've worked in four different continents. Was that always part of the plan or was that just where opportunity led you? It was a part of the plan for, again, the same reason, I'll tell you something. Uh, when we moved from, so my husband and I, uh, we met back in back in college, to be honest. Uh, and once we got married, we said, okay, we want to move to another geography. We want uh, to embrace diversity of every kind uh, and see if we are if, if we are up to scratch uh, when we go somewhere else. Because if we truly believe that whatever we've learned, the craft of learning or marketing, uh, then we should be able to cut it elsewhere as well. So we, the easiest from India happens to be Dubai. For many reasons, you you have expat population. It's not too far. Uh, my daughter was just uh, one year old, so I had to stay close to parents and uh, all of that. So that's the reason why we said, okay, the closest we can make this like work is would be Dubai. So that's why we moved to Dubai. And so yes, there's a degree of what you just said, which is uh, serendipity, luck, uh, and then some of it is deliberate. So we moved to Dubai and I wanted to make sure that I'm not just working on Middle East as a geography because Africa was something that always fascinated me. And that goes back to my days in India working in marketing where uh, you would you would talk about um, uh, bottom of the pyramid marketing. Uh, and how do you ensure that you work in markets which might either be data deprived or which might actually be a lower income cohorts and how do you make sure that your brand actually succeeds so that was the reason why it was pretty clear that i want to work in middle east and africa uh africa more so uh, so that's why dubai once we moved to dubai and we were there for more than almost yeah more than five years just over five years and we said okay we have worked in dubai i will gladly admit i enjoyed working a lot in dubai i did not enjoy living in Dubai as much. It, I, I, somehow the soul of that place did not really appeal to me if there was one. And then I said, okay, fine, what else do we do? And my husband and I, my husband also happens to be in marketing. So we said, okay, uh, the mecca of marketing, actually, the way we saw it back in Dubai was UK. There was some of the best work, some of the best thinking, case studies, all of that used to come from UK. And so it was quite deliberate. And we started trying our luck uh, talking to our employers to say, okay, we do want to work in UK. And then moving to UK and then taking up Reckitt and uh, Europe, North America was the remit back then and so on and so forth. So yes, it's deliberate, but there's also an element of luck. And it was something we did to make sure that we broaden our uh, broaden our understanding of marketing. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, th- there must be, we could probably do several episodes on this part, but there must be so many experiences and just the range of different markets and different contexts of markets and uh, cultures and so on and so forth that you've worked in that must make you one of the most rounded marketers around. <laughs> it's the culture, you know, that it it was fascinating to be able to work in a market. I mean, this is 2011, all right. This is before the civil unrest started in Sudan. And I remember uh, 2010, 2011, when we were, I was working on Unilever campaigns about tea. And here I am talking about launches of uh, tea brands in, in uh, and tea formats in Sudan. And we are talking about launching a new pyramid bag because it's more convenient. And the local culture, uh, some of the best insights that came from there, they said, we aren't looking for convenience. We are not looking for a tea bag in one tea cup because I don't have tea on my own. I have tea with my friends. It's, it's, it's shared experience that you have three, four times a day. You're engaging with communities. So why are you giving me a tea bag? Uh, my idea of having tea is quite... It's almost a communal activity. And so that was the truth. And I'm going, oh, really? I mean, for me, it was a luxury back in Mumbai trying to look at a tea bag instead of loose tea. Okay, fair enough. Looks like it works. <laughs> or another one was, I mean, uh, the, the feminist in me early on, uh, I mean, I was a young mother in Dubai and I'm like, oh, of course, everyone wants, to, why should women not uh, have, have be going out and having the same kind of careers or get paid the same and so on and so forth. There's this piece of work we're doing in uh, Beisdorf in Saudi Arabia, and uh, we get to see this dressing table of uh, full of 35 products. And I'm going, hang on a minute. The reason why you want all of these beauty products is, well, you first have to feel good within, and then you look good. And Insight screams back at me saying, no, this is a culture where you look good to feel good. And I said, oh, oh, okay, all right, that, that makes a lot of sense. And that then brings in the humility to say, who are we to judge? Our job as marketers is not to, to I mean, firstly, we can't uh, create waves. We can ride waves of culture. And we can't be here imposing our views. We are not the same as our consumers. We have to respect the culture. We have to respect the insight that we are getting and then work with it. I I love um, we need to ride not create the waves of culture. I'm definitely going to sound bite that, um, but I but I um, it's almost as if you preempted my my next question that I that I thought of was was asking about any examples that you had that potentially would work really well in one geography but not in another. You've mentioned the word humility a few times there, and it and and it it has come up in in previous conversations, and I regularly find it does when I listen to people who I really admire in, in marketing because of course it's that it's that state that you need to be in to carry out proper marketing and I know you know because we spoke about it at the time our they might be right podcast special but I've always loved that line of they might be right in order to put yourself in the right mindset to listen to people so whether it's launching the pyramid tea bag and then understanding actually no this is more of a communal thing this isn't about an individual convenient cup of tea is exactly that. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. No problem. This, you know, there's another one which really, really shook me because that's the one where we were this close to a launch and that was what was called an in-shower moisturizer from Biostoff. And I enjoy Biostoff marketing a lot because when the first time you read how brands grow and there's a part of you that goes, hang on a minute. So I was stupid all this while. 
So all the segmentation and, and targeting that I was doing, do you think I'd lost my mind? And then it's so compelling that you're completely blown away. It's a mind-blowing book. Fair enough. All that happens. But Nivea, as a brand, has always believed in the blue tin, has always believed in the iconic brand that it, it was. So I am completely convinced that this is the launch we are about to do called In Shower Moisturizer. And that's because everyone wants to have a shower in just 12 to 15 minutes. You go back to Middle East, you realize, hang on a minute, they like their baths, not showers to begin with, to be 45 minutes. That's the data I get. I'm like, hang on a minute, why? What do I? we do with this product now? We want to launch it. And then you say, okay, this is convenience is true, but it's not in-shower moisturizer. You need to reframe it. It's pre-bath moisturizer. And so the same product... We then said, can we can we actually make it work if it's a pre-moisturizer? Because this is a market where women love to pamper themselves and we have to respect those codes. We have to respect that truth. And so instead of trying to make this about convenience and 15-minute shower and then you are off to work, this is about giving you the indulgence of, of one more moisturizer that you can apply. And so that, that, that was really close to launch when we learned it. And we had to make it work. But yeah, from that point on, I said, you know what? Uh, whenever uh, it's possible, I will open my eyes and say, guilty as charged. Let's go back, <laughs> go back to the drawing book and make this work. Amazing. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's about knowing the consumer, isn't it? So I want to talk to you about what you um, kind of refer to as the unsexy, boring bits of marketing. Now, interestingly on a list that I know you have provided. Research doesn't actually fall within that um, category of unsexy. I would suggest that sometimes it does for people I, I talk to, but, but regardless, few marketers talk about retail, distribution, pricing and promotion, but there's huge merit in marketers getting to grips with it. So why, don't, why do you think marketers don't tend to talk about the unsexy side? Is it that they don't talk about it or they don't particularly practice it or understand it to be that that's that's actually a better question to think about rather than yeah it is it is considered unsexy and i think one of the reasons why marketers don't talk about it uh is not because not just because they're they're not interested in it but because they don't get to play a part in it in the sense that not every marketer has had a grounding in sales to begin to begin with. A lot of uh, people enter marketing from different different um, backgrounds, and that means that they might not have had the familiarity needed, and that means that they don't have the confidence to talk about, say, distribution. The other reason is because it genuinely, for a lot of people, doesn't have the glamour. Uh, you you don't you don't look at mood boards you don't look at celebrities you don't look at casting uh, there is a wannabe artist in everyone i guess uh, in a lot of people i'm i'm frankly i'm neither funny nor artsy I, i'm terrible at sketching so i maybe it's it's more uh, uh, on a sample size of one but most of us want to be creative right i mean most of us aren't, to be honest, and it's 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 extremely unfortunate that most marketers think they can just write a copy, just like that, or they have a way with with words, and they will write down. With, I mean, they just clip a few print ads out of home, uh, you know, copies, and come back and say, okay, 
let me actually i can do this anytime that's that's really sad that's tragic however uh i think the reason why they don't talk about distribution is one because it's sometimes sits outside of their remit and uh, they haven't been familiar and the second is because there's this part of you that uh, wants to do the bits which are considered more creative the magical part of it uh, forgetting that there's a lot of magic in retail um and do you think that's true both agency and client side it's even more on the client side to be honest i i personally believe that a lot of uh, agency side marketers are uh, because they've perhaps not been as close to the ones who are responsible for distribution are curious they're curious to know more because a lot of times when campaigns get developed you don't always get to see what's going on with the other three Ps uh and clients would like the information trickles down to you as and when uh the clients want it to flow to you but if you had access to to the sales teams then perhaps it it i mean that's the client side of people they do not they are the ones who don't actually uh, talk about it as much so i genuinely believe that agency side professionals want to know what's going on because i'm pumping in the gaps i'm pumping in the impressions if it's not picking up and you're just coming back with mmm numbers saying this is the roi or penetration numbers that have been declined i want to know what's going on there is it pricing that has changed for yourself or competitor or so on and so forth so they at least curious Uh, yeah so perhaps the the client side teams who are responsible for what, whether it's distribution or pricing or whatever are just not accessible yeah absolutely and another reason why this happens is because of the lack of clarity of what do you mean by distribution not everyone wants to get to the 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 unsexiness comes from weighted distribution numbers for instance sales per point of distribution as i say it i can actually see people wanting a double shot espresso in front of me <laughs> and that is so so what do you mean by distribution so that lack of understanding and and not uh, not perhaps being familiar with how to make it magical when you actually enter a tesco or either a website or or indeed uh, in store when you go what happens that part that comprehension is missing well the, the other thing i was going to say i know we agree that it's not fashionable to talk about is is media now you've said we're living in a golden age of media planning so how how can we as marketers take advantage of this this golden age uh that's a good one now that actually uh, there are lots of people very very smart creatives who do talk about media who talk about the power of uh, a strong media plan and activation uh, i think how we could do it is first and foremost to understand that creative and media work together mm-hmm. there are lots of people very very clever people uh, i think one of the first people i i got acquainted with um in another role at reket was paul dyson who had, who who had done that study about how creative uh, is the second most important driver of advertising profitability but at the same and brand size being the first one but at the same time here is someone who is actually uh, working very closely with media and this us versus them doesn't help uh, i think the, if we want to do a better job of getting the best of both creative and media then it has to start with the understanding that these two are intrinsically linked and it's it's quite visceral it's quite easy to have an opinion on a billboard on a copy yeah. which i'm sure creatives like yourself uh, it it's a double edged sword uh, it, it 
it would annoy the hell out of a lot of people to say, okay, you have an opinion on, on all of what we do. With media, what happens is people don't, again, similar to pricing and distribution, people don't always get to how a media plan gets created. One of the reasons I actually chose from client side to go to a media agency is to understand the craft of media planning, because there's a lot of very strong thinking that that comes in. Uh, and I think, yeah, short answer is to, to actually realize once and for all that creative uh, and media need to work together if you want strong brand, brand building. We interrupt this podcast to announce that we will never interrupt this podcast with ads. Ads that awkwardly nudge you to contact the pod's host, Giles Edwards, on 01189 952007. Only the other day, some pod listening companies did just that, calling for guidance on strategy and brand identity. But we're not asking you to do that. Nope. Anyway, back to the show. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Oh, yeah, of course you didn't, Bill. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Here we I go. Totally agree, and I think the the two becoming disjointed obviously hasn't led to any you know improvement in effectiveness. But I but I think perhaps um, the point I made about the accessibility of different teams is obviously going to be true with media too. In as much as if is and it's an impossible challenge. Like, if you can sit the agency and the client side marketers and the client side retail distribution pricing promotion team and the media planners all in one room, or you could somehow magically put that in one person's head, it would be all the better for it. But I suppose that's when all of the business challenges, which are actually just true of business outside of marketing, come into play, whether it's different individual personalities, different teams' agendas, different people's, you know, there's all sorts of things that can come into play that get in the way, don't they? Yes, absolutely. And I think there are two other ways while you were speaking, it, it struck me. One is don't treat media as an afterthought. When you're actually briefing, you need the, 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 the strategist, the media planner, everyone at the same place on how you can best reach audiences. Firstly, who, what is your attention point? What is your key message? What is the role of communication? And, and then how are you going to reach these people? Uh, however you define the audience. So, so that's first and foremost. And second, I think we do not shine um, a spotlight on media planners as often as we should. I remember back in India, there was this this campaign that had one, I'm pretty sure nine out of 10 people would never have seen or talked about it. And I'm saying Indian marketers, I'm not even talking about the rest of the world here. It was a campaign done by Unilever in media dark areas where uh, in some provinces, they do not actually have a strong say TV presence or radio presence. And it was called Khan Khajura uh, from Unilever. And the intention behind that was to reach these audiences by making them call a certain number and get 15 minutes of entertainment blocks. So Unilever would have their ads interspersed through the the uh, the 15 minutes of entertainment and that could be music that could be you know uh, talk shows but it was a commercial interest and it came from that place of media and creative work together what do we want to do we want to actually reach these people and get them to buy x y and z brands more than any other in portfolio how are we going to do it this is the way we are going to do it what kind of entertainment will appeal to them what is the tension point there so on and so forth so I think it's 
it has to be regular spotlight on some of the best work that happens when these two uh when these two are planned together yeah well outside of that particular sector or that particular brief just sharing good examples yes and i think khan partly is guilty of it and i i don't want to shoot myself in the foot here because i'm the the 10000 things i don't agree with what khan does but this is one of the many i mean you're one of the i suppose the minority of guests we've had on who has got experience both client side and agency side not to not to mention the different continents you've worked in but is is there anything else easy that could possibly be done to improve to improve things if you're listening to this and you're well either a client side marketer or an agency side marketer i think having everyone involved in the briefing is a great idea is there any, is there anything else you can think of that might help talent movement giles uh, I, there are a lot of people who've actually moved across and uh, shadowed certain certain leaders and i do believe that whether it's client side or agency whether it's within agency networks especially networks where you you have both creative agencies and media agencies i genuinely do not understand why they need to work in silos and you don't move them across because in independent uh, agencies like like yours and and i've i've shared a gas homepage for a reason in for a lot of smaller agencies that thinking seems to be integrated from the word go so for the networks which actually do have both kinds of agencies why don't you move people across yeah really smart really smart i think scale scale obviously um brings a lot of problems with it doesn't it whether it, whether it means you need to um make things or define things into a process or whether you need to define things quite or define things in a way that can then be scaled and replicated just introduces so many problems doesn't it so whilst i very rarely stand up for the big network agencies i can at least understand and maybe empathize with why these problems do exist but i think that's why independent agencies like ours um like the brilliant halo like numerous others out there do have an advantage of sorts absolutely and then you bring in design as well i mean when you say halo i mean one of the best things i like about uh, nick ellis's tweets is that that uh, it's it you don't just learn about um, say media or creative or copywriting and you also look at design you, it 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 cuts across it's all pervasive his his ability to to offer uh, insight into how to make marketing work harder totally agree totally agree um i'm mindful of time because as you know we have dozens of listener questions <laughs> to hurl at you uh, kirti so i think i'm going to move there now if that's okay absolutely let's keep going so asking the general public for their opinion be it on brexit or boat names is notoriously fraught with danger so we asked and they came uh so which one should we go with first well we've just been talking about the man so let's go straight to nick so nick ellis asks you're vocal about purpose and the gray area gray areas that brands sometimes exploit in this regard what brands are getting purpose right who is actually changing the world for the better and who is fucking lying fuck to quote well done nick here i am talking about how i'm, I'm and you know how brilliant he is and there he is throwing me a curveball right at the lions yeah <laughs> and enjoying the entertainment okay let's get on with it uh, so yes i have been vocal about purpose and that's because i don't understand uh, i genuinely struggle to see why we needed a new term called purpose when it's basically 
the same term. It it masquerades as as what uh, any business should have done all along, which is who who do you want to be? What do you stand for? Uh, how why should you be making money? And uh, to call it now purpose seems very strange. And then the part of purpose which I have I take. I guess it's uh, it's been a problem all along is um, the greenwashing, the woke washing, um, the taking moral high ground for the sake of it. And that is something that um, whether it's a Mondelez, whether it's a Listerine, uh, whether it's a Ben and Jerry's, uh, when they go beyond what they offer to audiences through their products and services and try and interfere with policy making and with something that's way beyond their area of expertise that's when i i find it very annoying so who is doing purpose right would basically take us to well who's doing business well i mean there are lots and lots of brands that have actually been doing uh, what they are meant to do uh, i think on twitter itself i'd given the example of uh, uh, Diageo, many of the brands, a lot of liquor brands, for instance, I think Absolute uh, did it. There are supermarkets who did do it. So there was Absolute doing it uh, uh, in Slovakia, was it? It was particularly nice where they were talking about uh, using music uh, to solve, to take a stand. Or it was Edeka, which was uh, in Germany, a supermarket, which decided to actually empty their own shelves of all products that were non-German, just to highlight how nationalism doesn't really help. Now that is that is that is very clever, very clever because that's their core business. They do bring in products. Their whole reason for existing is to bring in products uh, onto their shelves for people to buy, and they're highlighting a problem with uh, extreme nationalism where it could go. Or Carrefour that did it with Black Supermarket. So. Those are the instances where I do not have a problem at all because that's a part of who you are. That's that's what you offer, and you're using it. You're using your platform to to stand up, and and therefore stand out. So that's absolutely well done. Uh, kudos whenever they do it. Then there are these brands. Uh, I mean, when when Cadbury jumped the shark with with a, what was it called? Was it called Unity Bar? Uh, uh, it was launched on Indian Independence Day. I mean. Come on, or or the tone deaf activism of of Listerine with rainbow colored mouthwash, which was which got slammed for the right reasons. Uh, so those are just instances of incompetent marketing, is how I would put it. And I don't think there's any malice uh, in in what they do. It's simply failing to read the room, and that I think is 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 sorry to say, a lot of it has to do with the fact that. When you're talking about DEI initiatives, when you're talking about making your own company diverse or your, your agencies to have uh, diverse teams, diversity is not just about who you love, how you look. It is not just about it. Yes, there's a lot of work to be done in that area and we're doing it, but it's about making sure that we, we work with people who think differently, who can say it like it is, saying, I spoke with my mom, I spoke with my neighbor, I spoke with my bin man, and he came back and called it bullshit. And that 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 refreshing honesty will only be there if we we get there, like people who think differently. Yeah, brilliant answer. 
I think everyone knows my thoughts or what my answer would be. So I, I'm not going to add any more. But I think what you've said is very, um, very well put, very articulate. I'm going to um, the next question. I'm going to stick with another kind of agency related question from Tom Binding. And he asks, what do you look for in an agency partner? Mm, that's a good one. Now, I already have a lot of respect for the agencies we work with and I have worked with all along. Uh, I think two things I would look for in an agency partner. One is the ability to help us cut through silos. As clients, and I, I know I'm painting a picture of gloom and doom on the client side. That's not true. Kellogg is an exceptionally good employer and, and the environment and the culture is fantastic. However, every single client-side organization struggles with silos. So I do feel that agencies which try and mirror the, the org structure of, of clients, they, they themselves start operating in silos. So I, I would look in an agency partner for, for, for the kind of mindset where you go, you know what? Yes, we will try and mirror your org structure, but we are trying to reduce silos all along. We want all of you to work together. And that actually goes back to, uh, uh, funnily enough, it goes back to what we first discussed, distribution, pricing, and, and shopper marketing, and, and media, and creative, and e-commerce, and digital transformation, and insight, and so on and so forth. There's so many teams uh, within client side. And if agency partners can actually try and bring it together and say, we are not going to operate in silos within, even if you have single point of contact for a given function, within agency, we're, we're trying to help you bring those walls down. So that's that's first thing that I would look for. And the second thing is humility uh, and curiosity. I, 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 arrogance is something that gets to me. Uh, and, and to actually uh, think oh, award-winning work uh, is what you're going to showcase and then be able to um, get, transform my business is a pretty arrogant. Uh, thing to do yeah is there anything particularly off-putting that agencies consistently do or might do i think those times when they try and advise on uh, pricing or on distribution not perhaps um appreciating what it takes to win that game it can come across as slightly off-putting, uh, but it, but again, it's the way you do it because I've also come across very provocative questions from agency partners uh, in areas which they do not perhaps have, have direct influence in, and that has been immensely helpful because they have the the luxury of uh, objectivity that they can bring in. But it's the way you you do it. So I mean, if you're being pedantic, then yes, that's a problem. <laughs> I'm always pedantic. Brilliant. Okay, well, I've got, hang on, let's do this. I've got two more I'm going to put to you. I'm going to weave one of them into our pertinent poses because it's quite similar. So uh, Parijat, who helped with the quick fires, he has asked, are there any campaigns you wish you had done? He also says, and having operated in multiple countries, how different have the working environments been in marketing? And have there been considerable differences in marketing strategies? So I think you've, you've probably already answered that one already, to be fair. But obviously, feel free to supplement that if, if you so wish. But I think, are there any campaigns you wish you had done is, a, is an interesting one. There's so many of them. Oh, my God. I should have thought, Leah, I should have thought of this one. <laughs> Shouldn't I? 
so many campaigns that i admire where do i start i particularly like i think uh, was it kfc when their supply chain crisis had happened fck ah uh, yes that that was that was super quick that was humble that was very kfc and that was endearing uh, i i'm i i'm going to take the liberty of saying i hate kfc uh, buckets i don't like fried chicken at all however that's a campaign i genuinely wish i was involved in at that point in time they came up with it so very quickly so that was something that i that i think uh, yeah i wish i had done that yeah it's a good example and, and, and i think i touched on it uh, to, when i was talking to nick asbury uh, both of us are big fanboys of a smile in the mind and some of the um the designers whose work really showed great wit and witty thinking and i think that's a more recent example of of, of wit just being such a powerful um a powerful thing if it went done well absolutely and that's also one of the reason in fact now that you say it it strikes me like i said i i i'm not a funny person not intentionally funny person and so whenever i do see someone else using infusing humor and doing a great job it's you go wow i wish i could do that yeah i know i'm a huge i'm a huge fan and and it's why i think you know it it's a very overused example but all of the the economist ads and and just a lovely piece of really witty copy just is so powerful right we've got let me ask you the last one before we move on to the poses and this is from uh, johnny mcgrath smith who i know he's a brilliant guy he says on a personal note i'd love to hear some of your recent favorite recipes as the food you talk about cooking always sounds amazing and on a professional note what's the best argument you've ever had with someone about an idea oh wow this is a heavy duty both are heavy duty by the way because uh, i've had to learn cooking it's not i'm i wasn't naturally good at it i picked up cooking only uh, only after my marriage so that would be like 26 27 years old that's when i picked it up my favorite recipe and my go to recipe actually happens to be a taco recipe and that is uh, if you have thyme paprika garlic and onion uh you should be you should be sorted with with pretty much any taco that you want to make uh, those are those are the, that would be my go to and if you ask in my household in my kitchen what would i always find that would be always um, corn tortillas uh, emergency uh, sour cream and then exactly the ingredients i've given if you have that uh, i hope mexicans aren't offended because that's not the intention at all please 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 do share authentic recipes i would love those but this is something that um, that i love the most mexican food is uh, is my favorite and and any any best arguments that you've ever had let's let's tone that down to best discussions oh uh, i think on twitter twitter is an incredible community uh, whether it's you giles this nick and then i've been fortunate uh, to have followed and and to get reactions from some luminaries on 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 twitter the most recent one where it's pretty much changed my mind on how i see science was one where we started out with uh, i think it was about priming being dead that was uh, daniel kahneman's latest comment and i put that up is effectively dead and and uh, i put it up as in order to elicit more informed reactions and then there was a whole discussion that came about on what is science is science science the same as scientific rigor or is science just 
the wonder, the curiosity of, of trying to understand the world better. And that discussion really was eye-opening because I stand corrected. It's, I, I thought of science as being completely different uh, from, 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 say, marketing or from social science. Marketing science, I, I really follow that. I follow most of Unberg Bass principles and I've seen success as a result of it. Having said that, uh, it was Phil Barden's uh, comment, and then I was Doug Garnett, who actually shared a lot of content on w- how social science can, sciences can be different, and there's ambiguity, there's complexity, and to to shy away from that is just giving up, is to just say that this is the best marketing could ever be, and that's not right. Uh, we should be pushing the boundaries of what we can prove. Uh, we should be looking at empirical data as often as we can but also appreciating that sometimes the scientific rigor you apply to laws of physics, uh, you might not be able to uh, have similar laws in all areas. Well, it is amazing what good can come from Twitter, but I also think that, you know, without, you don't have the positives without the negatives. I think that's true of most things in life. And sadly, you can you can harmlessly start a fight on Twitter far too, far too easily. Oh, dear. Like, yeah, I mean, please, I've learned it the hard way. I love, especially on purpose. There was a time when I actually wanted to tweet, hang on a minute. I mean, just because I pick up after my dog, I don't put it on my CV, right? So why? <laughs> Why do brands need to? That's all I'm saying. I don't have a problem. I'm not a sociopath who says don't do noble things. No, it's fascinating. I think the trick is not to reply, but I've 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 failed to do that numerous times. You're very nice and balanced about it. You usually are. <laughs> right. <laughs> the final final part of the interview is our four pertinent poses. So number one, uh, Kirti, what advice would you give to your younger self? Take yourself less seriously. I mean, why did I have to wait till my 40th birthday to learn that I need to take myself less seriously, even if I'm taking my job seriously? So that's that's something that's that's liberating, that has helped me enormously, that has reduced my anxiety in my career and in my life in general. And I do believe that if you start taking yourself less seriously when you are a teenager or a young adult, it'll it'll help you. Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. I think running's helped as well. Is that is that right? Running has helped enormously. That is that is uh, yes. Uh, physical activity in general. If if running is not your thing, uh, then then take up some physical activity. But it is I've for the longest time not been in any sport at all, and uh, never have been able to discover the benefits of of uh, physical activity till I started running in 2020. So yes, what advice would I give to myself? My pace would have been better. Uh, uh, definitely, when I look at Andrew Tenzer talking about his uh, pace, uh, casually doing a half marathon and me having to struggle my way through, yes, it would have helped if I'd done it in my 20s. Yeah. Everything in moderation. You're, you're talking to a reformed running addict here. <laughs> Oh, we need to we we, we need to have a chat. We can, about we can chat about that after we finish finish the next three poses. So, um, number two is um, I'm tweaking the question here as a nod to I always I always whenever I see the name Gillian Wrightford, I, I I call her Auntie Gillian in my head, but it's only because she has the label Agony Aunt, and so I, for some reason it's merged into me genuinely thinking we're related i think when i'm older old and mad that might that might have been fully woven into my head so anyway 
the wonderful Adland Agony Aunt Gillian Wrightford has asked, if you could wave your magic wand, what would you fix to make our profession immeasurably better? Oh, that is, and firstly, Gillian is really, really sweet and kind. She definitely is. She looks like someone who you could just DM and say, Gillian, this is how I'm feeling and you could trust her with it. Great. I would love to take away apology from marketers. I would love uh, to remove that sense of, I need to be better than this. I need to be bigger than this. I need to be more than just a marketer. Uh, That is a notion I would like to erase because we should be extremely proud of being marketers. We should be extremely proud of the value we bring in both commercial but also convenience. I, the fact that that you can walk into a store, a supermarket, and be done in 20, 25 minutes, uh, and I'm speaking on behalf of, um, you know, time-deprived mums, but sure, go ahead and spend your one and a half hours there. But yes, we, there is a lot of value in being a marketer, and we do not need to shy away from it. We don't need to apologize for it. Uh, we aren't uh, doing anything unethical. If anything, we are helping people lead better lives, uh, offering quality products. So why, why and, and, and entertain as well. So bring in a smile to people's faces and be a part of culture. Uh, so why would you why would you be apologetic? So that's something I would like to take away. Number three, are there any books that you would recommend to our listeners? Mm, oh my God, your listeners are really, really clever most of them are bookworms themselves so uh i i've most recently been practicing some a book that i had read i'd read it last summer but i've started practicing it a lot more it's called you not listening by kate murphy and uh, it's a book so kate murphy happens to be a journalist who talks about how we can be better listeners and she talks about you know at work you are taught to lead the conversation um, on Twitter, obviously, you keep curating your pers- personas. And then at parties, we talk over one another and, and politicians do even a worse job. So how can we be better listeners? How can we, at, when we all kind of crave to understand and be understood, uh, we become better people? And that uh, talks about how to be better listeners. So that's that's definitely a book I would recommend for anyone who wants to get better at it. There's also a great video that the the annoyingly brilliant Andy Nen uh, donated to Isolated Talks um, along the same lines. So I also recommend people listen to that. Oh, yes. And his book, Go Luck Yourself. I mean, everything you read in that book and you go, you're nodding all along, but also it's it's brilliant. Yeah, he's he's brilliant. Absolutely. He is. He really is. Uh, And then number four is we always dedicate every episode to someone and we bestow that honour to our guest who has to give their reason why. So dedication time. Oh, wow. Uh, I am not in the public arena very often and I don't... um, I'm pretty, pretty introverted. This is actually a privilege to be on a podcast and to actually be talking to people I don't personally know. And therefore, I'm going to dedicate it to my dad, who who used to be a grassroots politician back in, back in well, hinterland India. And uh, he would always tell me that uh, you should actually... Uh, bring in your best uh, to people you don't know and kind of connect with people and 
uh, and and do it in a manner which which uh, brings out the best in others and that's why i'm going to dedicate it to him because uh, this is quite possibly the first time where i'm talking to people i genuinely do not know uh, and uh, he's yeah whatever you hear right now if you took out one word that possibly is uh, holds any value that's because uh, i've taken a lot from him well that's a that's a really lovely sentiment and a and a brilliant dedication um, so this episode is very proudly dedicated to your dad <laughs> thank you so much so we're going to share links to everything we've discussed. We'll, we'll link uh, to the KFC Buckets ad. We'll link to You're Not Listening. Are we able to link to the big debate that you were you participated in recently? Is that available online? Oh, so actually the video is not available, uh, but you might want to actually link to the LinkedIn post that I put up, at least my side, but uh, it's, I, I need to check where that video is. Uh, that reminds me, sorry. It, it needs to be there. The video is something that they haven't uploaded. I would love for you to listen to both sides of the debate in the spirit of everything that Call to Action stands for, where you bring in so many different perspectives to everything. So I'll try and look for the video, but meanwhile, you can always link it to the LinkedIn post. Well, by the time our listeners listen to this, hopefully Kirti and I will have located and shared that. But either way, there'll be a link to at least Kirti's uh, LinkedIn post where she outlines her argument, her winning argument, I might say, but it's not about winning, except it is. <laughs> How else can our listeners get more Kirti Nair? Twitter. Do you know that I'm actually not on any of the Facebook properties at all? On LinkedIn, it's, it's uh, yeah, once, once in a blue moon, there's a post, but Twitter, you'll, you'll see me being very active. And that is because of the Twitter community. So yes, if you curate your list properly and you make sure that you follow people like Giles, then you do have get get to be connected with some of the brightest minds. Uh, so not that I am one, but that is that is where uh, you'll find a lot of very clever people and kind people, most importantly. And stupid people. There's room for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm deliberately not going there. Thank you, Giles. Well done, you. Well done for spoiling it all. Well, we will we will link to your Twitter uh, profile too. Uh, and encourage everyone to um, to follow. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Kirti. It's been absolutely brilliant. Likewise, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, your quality of questions, but also everything that you offer. I think a lot of people, even if they don't get a chance to be on uh, the podcast, would definitely benefit from chatting with you and learning more about how to get better in this industry. Thank you. You've been, um, you've been over the top with your praise, Kirti, but I've... Um... I'm going to transcribe every, every one of them and put them on my wall. Thank you so much. Finally, thank you to everyone listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share and review the podcast. We massively value your support. Keep the questions and guest requests coming in. To get in touch, it's easy to find GASP online. You can check out CTA Pod on Instagram or email hello at calltoaction.co. Try and I try.